0: Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders who are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders of teams who are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and creating life-changing years for the people they lead. The sales leadership podcast is brought to you by sales leadership united part of the Jepson performance group video segments of this and other episodes of the podcast can be found at sales leadership united hosted on patreon think of sales leadership united like a home depot for sales leaders it's a comprehensive resource for sales leaders with over 100 hours of tools training and insights sorted and tagged into every category you might need to help you become an elite sales leader. A private podcast, sales leadership training, sales meeting insights, video insights, and much more are waiting for you to check out at Sales Leadership United. Don't reinvent sales leadership. Tap into proven tools and techniques used by many of today's most successful sales leaders, and check out Sales Leadership United today. Now, get ready for some serious insights from this week's sales leader who's making it happen, and remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello and welcome to the sales leadership podcast where high growth sales leaders share high growth practices and tactics. I am so pumped for this week's conversation. Chris Walker is a big deal in the go-to-market world. Chris is a CEO at Refine Labs. Now, Refine Labs is a demand accelerator for B2B SaaS companies. They help some of the world's most iconic companies increase marketing's contribution to qualified pipeline and revenue, all while lowering the customer acquisition cost. Now, Chris has emerged as one of, if not the most highest rated, top expert in demand generation. In fact, Forbes recently wrote an article on Chris calling him the B2B demand generation guru every Series C company should be listening to. Pretty high praise. Chris and his teams work. It's something that every sales leader can learn from and should pay attention to. If you don't follow him now, you will be by the time the show ends. He helps pipelines grow by orders of magnitude. Win rates inc- improve quickly and sales cycle time cuts so much. Sometimes it might be hard to believe. and That's why I had to have Chris on the show. I have followed him for years. I'm like pumped to be seeing myself on a call with him because I've watched so many of his videos that, that are out there. I'm a massive fan. Today, he's going to help every one of the 45,000 listeners be better at strengthening their go-to-market strategy. He's been involved with so many high-growth companies, I won't even try to name them all. Uh, As a member of the team and as a partner helping fuel that precious pipeline that's the lifeline for every single sales organization, Chris will help you. He's a highly sought-after speaker. He runs a podcast you should absolutely be following, and he's someone I'm pumped to talk shop with. Pumped for this one. Can't wait to get it going. Enough of the intro. Chris welcome to the show and thanks for joining me man
1: yeah rob let's do this pump for the intro let's get into it
0: I, I appreciate it why don't you start um by introducing what you're doing at refine labs let me give a little more context you're everywhere and and, and you're my favorite expert in the world on this demand topic can you introduce refine labs and, and where you fit and what you do with your customers
1: yeah 100 percent uh refine labs executes revenue r d for companies so while Uh, B2B companies spend about 25% of revenue on innovating on their product. They spend typically $0 in a methodical, systematic way to do R&D for how they generate revenue. A lot of that has been a lot of companies see us and a lot of people see us as a marketing firm, but we actually are now some of our best customers. We work directly with the CRO. Um, And so we now execute revenue R&D in a methodical way to deliver net new programs to market that are proven to work that can scale and do that in a. Uh, in an effective and methodical way so um, that's how that's how we help companies right now we do a lot of that through demand creation, but we also look at demand capture We look at buyer experience and buyer process we look at sales process we help. Uh, Change how companies look at their metrics in order to facilitate all this infrastructure. So, at a high level, we help companies drive more revenue in a more predictable way.
0: I love that you're revenue R and D. That's a really cool title. You're a revenue scientist, man. You're, I, I like it. So, this is going to be fun. So, for everyone that's listening, I think they now understand even better why this is going to be a cool conversation. So, let's start with the concept of demand, and let's just see where it goes, if that's okay. Yeah. Let's um, throw- Cause I think that's kind of what I think of when I think of you, it's demand. It's the age old question. Here's, you've probably heard this question. I'm going to give you the question that so many sales leaders get asked. Okay. You'll laugh when, as soon as I start saying it, you know, leaders get it. Entrepreneurs get it. GTM professionals all over the place. They get it. Here's what it is. Would you rather have the very best product with average demand or an average product with the very best demand? Right. Easy answer. Right.
1: I think, I think the best, <laughs> yeah, I think the best product.
0: See, I think it's the average product with the best demand.
1: You can you can change your demand and move from average demand to high demand way faster than you can make your be- your product from the, work- the mid product to the best product.
0: You can do that. And that's why you're on the show today. Most people will answer the question, man, I'd rather have the average product where people are demanding it. That's that what most salespeople will say. Yeah, wow. that's why I wanted to start with that question. It's It's cool to see your confidence. Oh, I can change demand. I can change that. And so that's why I want to talk about this. Like you think demand is easier to do. So many people, they get caught up in the old brand versus demand and all that other stuff. Can you talk about your kind of point of view on demand and and where it fits and how you look at it? And we'll just start from there.
1: Yeah. So historically, and probably a lot of people listening to this podcast, uh, misinterpret or confuse the definition of demand and look at it as lead gen, and they just call it demand or demand gen. Um, but what it, what, when it's looked at and it's actually practiced in, in practice, what's happening is that whoever's running this machine is focused on delivering contacts. Their sales team can try to sell to people who don't want to buy right now. And that's what demand means to most people. Let me redefine it for you. Demand is the precursor to revenue by driving a desire in your target market to want to buy or otherwise use your product. And so demand is a desire for your, for your target customer to want to use your product not to collect their email address, not to have them get into HubSpot, not to necessarily book a meeting with them, for them internally to want to use the product. And if you don't have that, your revenue system becomes very inefficient because you're trying to convince people to buy something that they don't want to buy right now or they don't have an interest in buying, which creates tons of different downstream implications in how the sales engine actually works. A ton of companies think they have a sales problem uh, tons of, probably some people listening to this podcast do, they think they have a sales problem. Our win rates are low. Our sales cycles are long. We're missing quota. Our, you know, we have 35, 40% sales rep attainment. We need more SDRs, things like that. But what they actually have is they have a demand problem. There's not enough people in the market that want, have a desire to use their product and they can't generate that in a repeatable way in order to achieve their revenue targets. So that is, uh, that's how I think about demand.
0: So I love that that definition
1: that you've given I, I wrote it down
0: like dude we just had your first sound bite and I'm already halfway through a page of notes listening to you I think that sales leaders would benefit from that it's not about more meetings um like you talk about it's it's not about can I get a few more meetings booked unless of course they're people they're meetings with people who have that that interest in using your product I, I, and I love that. How how do you, so is that about getting people to raise their hands or is is that something different? Like what, how do you do that? That's a really cool definition. But now like probably all the people listening, I love that. How do
1: you do that? Yeah. So when I uh, sort of invented this mindset in 2017, my mindset was that I know that we have an enterprise sales team and we're going to sell this through a sales team, but my thinking is that I'm going to educate, educate customers. So if there was a buy now button on our website, they would buy now without ever talking to our sales team. So that's the mindset and the, the methodology that I use now, if there's a book a demo button and that's the, that's the best path that they can get to want to buy, then that will be the path that they take. But the mindset needs to be, I'm trying to educate this person so that they buy without our sales team involved. Um, and then you just have an entirely different mindset about how you execute what most people will bucket into as marketing right now, but effectively anyone in the organization could go out and, uh, and create demand and desire for their target customer. Customer success could do it, sales team could do it, CEO could do it, marketing team could do it. There's tons of different avenues to actually get this done. Um, but in generally in, the, in companies right now, this responsibility would fall under the marketing team.
0: Yeah now that's super interesting because there that is a big different a big difference between lead gen and demand gen and um is that a different conversation so should sales leaders start having different conversations if if let's pretend that we have sales teams we're not going to go to just self-serve yep everybody that's listening they have either their yeah, own by reps or the way, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But
1: just to clarify i'm not i'm not anti sales and i'm not super oh. pcd like I uh, I know that there's a huge need, especially when you're selling enterprise SaaS and other types of products, to have a consultant to help a customer buy. So I'm totally on board with that, just to clarify.
0: And I'm glad you made that clarification, because I didn't take it that you had that perspective, probably because I know your work well enough. I know that's not who you are. But we have a lot of sales leaders listening. And one of the things that, that the people like when we bring guys like you on the show is you've just introduced a different lens to look through. So we got like that old toy, that, that kid's toy, the viewfinder. You've just dropped in a, a new viewfinder lens in there. And so what do they do with that definition? So i got a bunch of sales leaders. I go, okay, that's really cool. What should I do if I adopted that? What would I do a little different as a leader?
1: So I think the, the first thing to sort of illuminate this is to look at your data and to look at what's actually happening today. And so I've done this in more than 100 Salesforce instances in the past two and a half years, mainly in B2B SaaS and tech companies. But the the thinking around these companies when I analyze them is we need more leads, which is typically something that you'll hear for the sales team or the SDR team in sort yeah. of companies that think like this. We need more leads. And then a lead and how it's defined in most companies is basically any email address that you can collect that like somehow could potentially buy from you. And a lot of companies, it doesn't even matter if they work in an account that couldn't buy from you, they'll still call it an MQL. So you have these leads. And then if you actually looked at the data and tracked it from a lead, how many of them got to what you would consider qualified pipeline and what's the percentage rate? How many of them actually got to revenue? In our data, in my experience, especially with high volume lead channels like paid social, Google search, content syndication, cold outbound, things like that, you're gonna win, closed one, one out of a thousand leads. That means that your sales team and your SDR team is either trying to engage contact or actually contacting. Wow. 199 people in order to win one deal. A bunch of that stuff gets filtered before a meeting. So SDRs just chase around people that they never get to a lot of the stuff ends up there, but you waste a ton of SDRs time doing that. And then you got AEs taking meetings with these people where they win at a very low rate. And so as a sales leader, looking at this data and understanding what is, what is actually happening here per source? So what are the, happens with the leads that come through Google? What happens with the leads that come through LinkedIn? What about the ones that we get from Zoom Info? And looking at the data and then trying to quantify the hidden costs. The hidden costs are huge here. How much, how much of your sales team's time is spent doing demos for people that never wanted to buy in the first place? How many SDRs do you have making phone calls to people that don't wanna hear from you? How much marketing dollars, marketing investment, the ad cost, the agency's cost, the actual headcount and other expenses cost to generate all of these leads, and then try and make some level of a a calculation about what it's costing you to run these programs. And it typically illuminates that, fuck, we should stop doing this.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And, and, And so that's a really interesting perspective. So sales leaders can take a more active role in where things are coming from. And, 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 and should they be, be playing that active role? Should they be helping like saying to their counterparts if they have them? And some people that are listening, uh, Chris, they don't have the benefit of like robust marketing teams behind them. We have all kinds of people listening to that. How would you recommend like, A, they engage their marketing counterparts or B, if you have limited mar- marketing support, how you use what you just described to try and take more charge of how you build that pipeline, which is the life of every company, no matter what role you have.
1: Yeah, so when you understand this system, you start to see what's actually happening. Could you, could you repeat that question one more time? I had like a great, yeah. great thought, but I lost it.
0: Oh, uh, I, I want to hear your great thought, actually. But what I was asking is we got a bunch of people, some that have robust ma- marketers like you mm-hmm. and, and others, they don't have them. So given this system and this mindset of like looking at data, mm-hmm. understanding the costs, any recommendations like, A, should you be taking a more active role with your marketing department? And B, if you don't have a marketing term department, what do you do? Like, should you be like, most sales leaders aren't looking at that. They're looking at the four, the core four, number of opportunities, t- t- you know, average deal size, win rate and speed. Those are kind of a sales equation. And, and 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 so i love all those things I, I, what i'm looking at is i love where you're going i don't care where you go chris is it for people that have marketing departments here's some advice on how you work yeah. with them maybe we'll go there first
1: yeah i think the first step as a sales leader or another executive in the company is to acknowledge why this problem exists okay and so acknowledge that this is an organizational level problem it's not a marketing problem it's not a sales problem it's an organizational level problem And it's driven and caused at the executive level. This is not because the marketing manager and the AE aren't getting along. This is because of how the metrics and the goals are set at the executive level about what these two teams should do and how they work together, that by design creates misalignment. So when a company goes out and they say, okay, marketing team, what we need is, we need 5,000 leads every quarter. So we're gonna get 20,000 leads this year. And the sales team has their quota and they gotta do $10 million in net new business. And the marketing team delivers what they're supposed to do, the 20,000 leads with no quality control to conversion to pipeline or conversion to meeting or revenue contribution or anything like that. And you end up just having your sales team trying, you're basically just having a different source of getting email addresses and phone numbers that you could get from Zoom Info. That's basically what's happening here. Mm -hmm. And so the, 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 the metrics cause this behavior and they create this misalignment. So if you are in this situation as a sales leader, And you have marketing sending a ton of leads, and you get the same, you know, typical stereotypical feedback that I see on TikTok and LinkedIn and stuff like that. Oh, marketing hasn't delivered us a good lead, and blah, blah, blah. And your sales team stops calling them because they're so bad and things like that. Acknowledge that the reason for the problem is the goal of marketing and the mindset of the company of what marketing should do. Now, at the same time, you might have a marketing team that actually can't perform. And that's another, that's a different story. But looking just at the metrics level, Like the metrics create this behavior. So a different way to look at it and what we help companies do is score your marketing team based on how much qualified pipeline and revenue gets created through your website. Just like the idea that if there was a checkout button, they would go to your website and they would check out. But instead of doing that, they're booking a meeting with an AE. And then you quantify how much pipeline gets created through the website and how much revenue gets created through the website as a way to align marketing and sales. This is gonna be a little bit of a complex concept, but we use a a terminology called hero pipeline, high intent revenue opportunity pipeline that uses a win rate control, quality control to make sure that marketing is delivering what sales needs. So marketing's pipeline target is based on the deal stage where sales wins them at greater than 25%, which is probably stage two or stage three opportunities. And then all of a sudden, marketing starts flooding it with garbage because they gotta hit a volume target. The win rate drops to 22%. Then guess what then the target becomes stage three or stage four and mm-hmm. so it must maintain the win rate in order to consider that pipeline otherwise it doesn't get classified it doesn't get defined as pipeline using this win rate metric is an incredible if you ran a manufacturing facility or another high volume production you would use this exact same methodology of using some level of a metric to align one process to another against the entire outcome um and so you said pipelines the the lifeline yeah but it uh, i i a clear consistent definition of pipeline against win rates i think is uh an enhancement to that
0: 100% would agree with that obviously um you got a you got a shitty pipeline you got a shitty future if you got a robust <laughs> pipeline you got a robust future that's kind of how i look at it and and so so this is this is cool man like i said you're a different type of guest for us because you're bringing you're peeling back the marketing layer for our, our leaders and you know, many of them may have dabbled in that or played in that before they moved to sales. And I love this concept of scoring, like just like scoring it, taking out the emotion from it and just scoring it now, on, on any side, like on the sales side, all of us are really are really familiar with that. Like we better know where deals are won and lost so we can improve skills at specific places. Coaching is not a group sport. Group is an, Coaching is an individual sport to help people overcome where their road bumps are. Sounds to me like this is a similar thing for how you work with your counterparts inside that revenue organization. I love how you're taking a regular revenue organization approach to it rather than departmental working with departmental. Mm -hmm. Let me shift this to people that this is, you know, happens to a lot of companies, man. A lot of salespeople you know, most of the marketing stuff for better or for worse is mostly about brand recognition and it's not doing the stuff you're asking for. And I think, you know, that, you know, I think that that happens a lot for people that aren't getting a lot of, of leads or demands like that. And they have to kind of make their own weather. Any advice on what they might approach if if they're in that kind of a boat?
1: Yeah, before we go there, I just want to talk through the concept and the differences between yeah. Demand and capturing demand. Okay, so, let's, let's uh, sit in
0: that for a minute because we haven't done that. Okay. Capturing demand and creating demand. Let's let's sit in that for as long as we need to. Because I think that's a really it's important distinction. Yeah,
1: yeah, let's let's. This let's, is a mind blowing concept for sales leaders. Okay, so they're basically you're breaking down your revenue system into two core functions. You have to create the demand. You have to educate net new buyers that are not in market to buy your solution are not thinking about the business priorities that you solve are not considering whether or not they want to buy your category. And you need to figure out how to move them in market through education. Then you have to capture the demand. You have to, when people want to buy and they're looking for a solution like yours or they're looking for you, how do you get them into your funnel, give them an incredible, efficient buying experience and close those deals into revenue? Now, when you look at how compa- overall businesses are structured and revenue teams are structured from a budget allocation standpoint, the sales team's focused on capturing demand. Sales is a capture demand function for the most part, SDRs, all that different stuff. But then the marketing team is also mostly focused on capturing demand, SEO and SEM, lead gen, content syndication, doing webinars to drive leads, a lot of other sale, you know, sales focused activities. And so when you look and then you ha- you see, okay, our revenue engine is stalling or we're plateauing or our customer acquisition costs is going up. The reason is because you are not creating a flow of net new buyers that want to buy your stuff. And so you have basically a static level of demand. You just continue to invest more to harvest a static level of demand or in the, the situation that we're in right this second, a declining amount of demand and you got more. So there's a, there's a balance that's necessary. Um, and to give a couple of examples, just so people sort of,
0: yeah, let's, let's do that. I want to peel that back. This is so awesome.
1: Yeah. So at, at one point, like nobody knew that they needed a toothbrush. (laughs) And then at some point a company came along and educated people that there's plaque there. You might lose your teeth. This different stuff happens and you could use a toothbrush in order to prevent that from happening. And then over time, there's been mass adoption to a level where every person has demand, for, essentially every person has demand for a toothbrush, but if the, there was a time where nobody did. And so, and there's children that are growing up that when they're three years old, they don't have demand for a toothbrush. And then eventually someone teaches them that they need one, AKA word of mouth. So that's an easy example. Another example, if you wanna go a little bit differently, is that like, there are tons like SAS companies and oftentimes replace a spreadsheet. Yes. So a lot of your, like a lot of your prospective customers are using a spreadsheet right now to do what you do. And so you have to go out and figure out how to teach them about how your salute, the, the problems with your that your solution solves the category position, how you see the world, the opportunities that they would unlock by using it before they ever consider buying now. What companies do is they try and do the entire process of that via sales. They try and take a, a buyer that has no interest in buying, is not necessarily aware of the category, and they have a salesperson in a one-to-one conversation, try and bring someone all the way through from 10% done buying when they have their first meeting all the way through, because that's what happened from you know up until about 2012, probably. That's the, that was the appropriate way for someone to sell. It was sales focused. there weren't digital channels, there wasn't information available on the internet, it was tough to get in touch with your b2b peers to know what they were doing. All that stuff is out the window. And so you got to figure out how to get because this the sales team is doing all those things. And they're talking to buyers that are 10% done. Sales cycles are way longer than they should be Win rates are way lower than they need to be pipeline velocity is not moving very fast. And so the solution to this is to take care of of a lot of that initial work digitally, whether your sales team does it through education, your customer success team, your marketing team, most likely your marketing team should be doing this. And then when buyers come to your website and basically they're checking out and they're booking a meeting with your sales team directly there, they're 75% done buying, which means win rates get higher, sales cycles get shorter, things like that. It's shortening the time that sales is involved in the process and focuses their energy on the people that really want to buy. And so it creates a whole different way of how you scale your revenue organization. If you can get this to work too, we're a $21 million business and we have two reps. Are you serious? That's, that's awesome. Congratulations, man. Thank you. Yeah. And, and the, the reason is because we get all the work done before the buyer talks to sales. So the people that we're talking to are highly educated have probably already decided that we're the right solution. Now they need to go through their feasibility and budgeting and things like that. We produce, we put, publish pricing on the website. We give the buyers all the, all the things that they need. We do everything that we would do in a sales conversation and do it through a podcast and LinkedIn and other things like that at scale. Um, and so that's those are some different distinctions about how to think about this. You're still accomplishing the same thing, which is getting a buyer from 0% to 100% yeah. done. It's just how you do it and given how buyers are so, I don't, I'm, I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but like buyers that don't want to buy your stuff, don't want to talk to your sales rep.
0: No, no, you're dead right. They do, <laughs> especially yeah. because it's oversaturated with so many SDRs and sales reps right now, right?
1: Yeah. And so putting your rep in a position where they're talking to someone that doesn't want to buy is not doing anybody any good.
0: And one step farther, it used to be that the rep was important from the education uh, perspective, and that's less important now.
1: It's not, even a, it's not really even a factor anymore because buyers can educate themselves through so many different sources, review sites, communities, social networks, engaging with their peers through Zoom or TikTok or a community or a private equity event or through word of mouth. By the, the fact of the matter is, is that in 2012, the information available was very limited. And so buyers needed to engage with sales to get the information that they right. need to make a buying decision. That doesn't exist anymore. Now buyers can get all of the information that they need in order to make a buying decision, even though companies may not may try to make it hard to do that. All the information to make a buying decision is out there on the Internet, and buyers would rather go and get it through sources that they trust more. It's not to say that they don't trust salespeople, but now there are sources that are available that they trust more, and so they're going to use those. And it's faster and there's less,
0: there's all these other. So what you're describing is something we've talked about on the show. And this is really interesting. I'm glad that we got here. I didn't expect to get here, Chris. I can't wait to get your point of view on this. Because now I see why you wanted to hit this topic before we talk about what we Capturing demand versus creating demand. Every single sales leader should be having that conversation either with their team or with their counterparts because they are two different movements that are both super important. I probably couldn't even ask you which one's more important or which one's harder because it would just be situational, I would imagine. Or am I wrong on that?
1: Creating demand is more impactful and it's harder. Um, Really? Will you tell us
0: why? Will you tell us why?
1: um, Because it requires a fundamentally different mindset that B2B companies bring to any situation. B2B companies historically bring a product and sales focused mindset in order to do this. And those mindsets really do break down when you're trying to create demand. But the reality is that if you create demand effectively and people want to buy your stuff, then you can have average sellers. You can have an average you can have an average website. You don't have to run Google ads. A lot of the captured demand things become less important because, like, for instance, we have two sellers, we have a website, that's basically all we invest in capturing demand right now. We don't do SEO, S E M, that type of lead gen advertising, things like that but we invest hundreds of thousands of dollars a month in podcast production, videos, our marketing team, all the things that are creating demand. And then when buyers come through, they're not searching for like, how do I grow my business? And then going through some funnel and HubSpot, they're searching refine Labs coming in re- primed and ready to buy. And so if you can create the, 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 the people that really win are the companies that create the demand, which makes capturing demand significantly easier.
0: That totally makes sense. But by the way, you also answered my first question. You said if you have good demand, you can have an average website and average all these things. So that's why you say average product, man. See. Uh, back to my <laughs> original question. You just answered it the way I thought you would in the first place. All right. So this this is this is awesome. So I, I got my mind is just cooking right now. We're, we're we've only got like 20 more minutes left. I knew it was gonna go fast oh, with you. Yeah. You're, you're, I love the way you think and I, and I hope our sales leaders right now are taking great notes and digesting this because I, I got a ton of ideas now that I want to start running by you that are kind of maybe different and so here's what I'm thinking about so now we're now we're really going to a different spot two things come to mind we're in a world where what you just described that whole process you just described is the buyers trying to commoditize the sellers is that a fair thing to say
1: Mm, what do you mean with the information that's abundant on the internet? Mm-hmm.
0: I want to, I want to, I want to commoditize people. So I can say here are two or three people that probably will, will work. I want to take away the things that make them think that they're so important and different. I'm going to say, these are the things that are important to me. Any of these ones are going to be important. Now it's going to be a, ra- it's in the sales world. We call it the race to the bottom. A lot buyers are trying to drive our price down by commoditizing them saying, these are the things that I want, you know, how much is it going to cost me? And so I, I listened to that. And I'm like, okay, that, that's happening. We talk about that all the time. Um, any advice on when you're doing this creation of demand to angle it in areas that, like you said, people didn't think there was a toothbrush. Well, now there's a whole bunch of toothbrushes, some that have angled bristles, some that don't have angled bristles, if I stay in your, in your deal yeah. right now, okay? Like any advice on how you try and do your creation of demand into areas where you're differentiated?
1: Yeah, I mean, part of creating demand is designing a category or subcategory that makes you the only option. And that has to flow into product strategy and has to flow into messaging and positioning strategy. And so if you got if you have a commodity product and you're competing in a category like the CRM category, I use a lot like you're gonna, you're going to be in a race to the bottom, you're going to have a lot of competitors, you're going to lose a lot of deals, you're going to give away discounts in order to win. Um, but by being able to design a product and then a category that's truly differentiated, this is really a strategy conversation now. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, there's, a, there's a part of that which involves understanding your customers really well, defining who your target customers are, doing the research in a primary market research way so you can design the product in a way that nobody else will design it because you're getting the insights from your customer. And the reality is that most there's many companies that do not do product R&D that way. They go for feature parity or they, they copycat existing products that have already right. successful. And so no wonder you're in a commodity game. You think about your, you develop your product like it is a commodity. Um, and so there, this is like when, if, if the sales team is having this issue, it's, ve- it's very difficult to address with like new wallpaper. Right? Like you can't just put a, you can't create a new slide on the deck that makes you, makes you feel different. This is a deeply rooted, you need to go into the studs and build a new, uh, build a new foundation that you can build on so that you're actually differentiated in the future. So it, it's hard to sort of, ma- if you're in that situation as a seller, it's not a, it's, not a situation that you can resolve quickly.
0: So let's shift gears then. I want to spend our next 15 minutes and then I want to give you an opportunity to make sure that the people that are listening here either have a chance to reach out to you or, or have their counterparts reach out to you. I, I think there's a lot of people that will be interested in continuing the conversation with you. Um, let's let's move to capturing demand. I know you said creating demand is the more impactful and the harder. But when you get into these competitive selling opportunities, let's pretend we've created some demand. Then the capturing of it, I'll be interested to get your take on it. Here's my second thoughts. I talked about commoditization briefly. Mm-hmm. I want to go briefly on this one and maybe we can sit in whichever one you think is more important. Cause I think both of these issues are big ones facing sales leaders. Commoditization is a big one. Here's the other one. I'm going to go to uh one of the poets of our time, uh, Jay-Z. You ready for this one? I, I, I can, you, you'll know it. I got 99 problems, right? But the bitch ain't one. And, uh, and so every single person we sell to is going to have 99 problems or 50 problems, and, and what, one of the things that's coming back a lot is, Rob, we got 30 things we need to fix. How, you know, the question isn't, do I have a problem? The question is, do we prioritize? it? I believe that, like, there's all these sales methods, like, you know, solution selling, customer-centric selling, the challenger sell, you know, gap and problem selling. Now, I think it's all about creating priority. How do you teach your people to have what you do get prioritized? Any thoughts on, as you've done this with lots of people about this art, or science whatever you want of creating prioritization
1: uh prioritization happens in the creating demand phase okay yeah so like when when companies come to work with us they recognize that this is a problem they've shared content and discussed it as an executive team they've allocated significant budget to solve it they're probably they're either going with us they're evaluating other vendors that they think are similar to us um but how you get the business to prioritize things is by producing content on the internet that educates them on the things about why, right? So it's translating like the way that I figured this out is that I went on field rides with our sale. We had a field sales team in 2017. I went on field rides with them for 90 days. I saw how they were pitching. I saw what questions were asked. I saw what objections were in, were put forward. I saw how they were answering them. I understood how customers see clinical data versus how customers that, use our product versus ones that don't. What are the gaps in knowledge? And then I executed sales at scale, which is taking all that information and doing what a sales person is accomplishing in a one-to-one meeting and doing that at scale to thousands of buyers at once using the exact same information, but packaging it in a way that works for a buyer that's not in market to buy. So um, I believe that the prioritization phase actually happens in creating demand. A lot of companies because they don't create demand, they attempt to artificially create prioritization or fo- or force that inside of the sales process, which is, in my opinion, uh, less effective but can still work. Um, and then when we think about this idea of just capturing demand broadly, I want to drop a couple of nuggets because I know we're co- coming low on time. Yep. Like. I am a business person. I tend to be categorized as a marketing, but I've sold 10 more than 10 million dollars in deals this year. So like I'm a seller. Let's go, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a seller too. I understand finance. I can I understand product, I understand engineering. I'm a business I'm a, I'm a business person. One of the things for sales teams when they think about capturing demand to do is in 2018 i'll give you a story in 2018 i executed market research with our customers i did qualitative market research in the field and then i ran a survey to 550 of our target accounts with target customers with the target buyers inside of them and the study was all designed around how do these people research and want to buy and so i was where are they getting information what steps in the process do they want to have at what point do they want to talk to a rep what steps do they want to cl- complete before they talk to a rep what are they expecting when they talk to a rep and I did all this different information and I'm not going to summarize the whole findings, but I am going to drop one learning. because so I think it'd be super impactful for people. One of the things that we learned is that before a customer ever a prospective customer ever wanted to talk to our sales rep, they wanted to understand all the published clinical data and they wanted to talk to a peer at another facility that used our product. And we're out there having SDRs bang the phones, trying to get meetings from our sales team where the salesperson is driving six hours through the state of Utah to a hospital where we win those deals at 4% complete waste of time for a 25k ARR deal. And the shift that we made there is instead of having the BDR call to book a meeting before the buyer has completed the two steps that they've clearly outlined that they want to complete that we actually the outreach that we move forward with was saying hey. Susie, by the way, across town, Jimmy is using our product and is open to talking with you about how they're using it. Would you like me to set up a meeting? And then we're referring the customer to a reference because that's what they want before they talk to a salesperson about it. You might not get the same data when you did the study. That was a study done four years ago in the healthcare medical space. Yep but you'll learn something that you that that is clearly in friction, something that you're doing that's clear in your sales process that's clearly in friction with what your buyer wants during the process. And so it can illuminate a lot of ways to fast track this stuff. Okay? If buyers need these things first, how are we going to change our outbound strategy? When are we actually going to accept a meeting? Like those are some of the things that I have thought about. Um I am purely abs- like Aside from all this, like creating demand and stuff like that, the thing that I'm purely obsessed about in sales is the buyer experience and the way that companies go about it with this high volume machine, let's try and get eight demos per day on our AEs calendar and they just sit through meetings and don't follow up. And it's a wash, rinse, repeat, not customized. We're not showing people pricing, all the things that companies do to try and like resist how the world works today. Um, And just by trying to figure out how do we how do we become aligned exactly in our selling process with how our buyer wants to buy when do they want to have a meeting with us what do they want to accomplish in that meeting do they want to talk to an SDR? do they want to talk to an ae do they want to talk to a solutions consultant why how do we bring how do we listen to what they want and then bring it all together in a way that aligns with how they want to buy which removes friction and makes it much easier to sell so that's gold, Chris. Thank you for dropping that nugget because
0: every single sales leader can do that. We're not dependent on anybody else to do that. We, if we don't know the experiences that someone wants, then that's the first step. Find the experiences that leads to an a, a excited buyer, not like a satisfied buyer, but a pumped up, excited buyer, right? And then we say, how do we do those more effectively? How do we get those done quicker? How do we get those done like you said, at scale, before a rep ever talks to them, um, why do you think not enough? Why do you think so few people actually do that?
1: Because companies are way too focused on how they want to sell instead of how their customer wants to buy.
0: So, what would your advice be? We got like just we're in our last ten minutes. I I love now. You've given us some great nuggets. Let's, let's like have open night at the improv. We're going to have you up on the stage with the mic, like any two or three advice points that you'd say, listen, sales leaders, we're all in the revenue world together. You're a revenue scientist. You're a revenue R&D person. You've helped people have breakthroughs in every major metric. Anything you'd say to these sales leaders, here's like two or three things you guys should make sure is in your bag of tricks as you get ready to go forward this fall push and then into 2023.
1: For ev- for every executive, and I recognize that it's difficult specifically for sales leaders to do this because they have competing metrics and objectives for this. But if you're able to, as a sales leader, separate from the outcomes that you're accountable for and truly execute customer research and try and understand what do these people want? What are the things that we're doing that are not helpful? How can we optimize our sales process? Collect the negative feedback get, when you get the negative feedback, it's so crazy. Like so many, so many companies, I'm going to get on a tangent right here, but I want to say, I've never said this Do before. It. There's so there's so many companies out there that are like, we have huge SDR attrition. The SDR is such a tough role. Everyone in the SDR role wants to get out of it as soon as possible. All these different things. It's like, isn't that an indicator that the shit isn't working? People yes. hate their job and, and customers hate it too. Like the reason that they don't like their job is because they're doing shit that every one of your customers doesn't want. You know what I mean? So why don't we look at that and be like, why are we still doing this? Predictable revenue was published in 2006. Yeah. The world was different then. You know what I mean? So like that's, there's an indicate there's, it's not like you have to look very hard to see where there's friction with your buyer. It's right in front of you. It's just whether or not you recognize it and act on it, getting custom like having a direct connection with both customers and prospective customers and being able to truly understand them without introducing your agenda, is a true skill and a necessary skill for revenue leaders moving forward. I think that's a huge one. I think the next one that leads in is that, like, sa- sales leaders, especially if you're gonna end up like being a CRO and having accountability to marketing. You got to fi- the the number one way for sales teams to hit their goal is to figure out how to do marketing and creating demand more effectively it's not even marketing it's creating demand more effectively and whatever department is necessary in order to do that. Like as a sales leader figuring out how to do that, that will be the number one path to your goals it's not hiring challenger to come in and spend a million dollars in nsm and do a training it's not booking more SDRs. it's not buying another tool for your stack with 27 tools. It's not hiring some lead gen agency. All the things that companies try to do in order to solve this, the reality is just you, you, you got to figure out how to create demand, which requires new metrics, a new mindset, and an overall skill set that a lot of companies don't value enough today. And do not get this confused with brand. I'm not like this. This is what I'm talking about here is not do it. What's, practicing, what's being practiced in your company, otherwise known as brand. Building trade show booths, Spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on a website with no customer insights, creating some video where you spend 30K on the video and then you publish it just on your LinkedIn company page organic and get no views except for the people that work at your company. Like the activities that brand people do today are typically highly ineffective and they use the lack of measurement as a way to justify what they're doing. And the reality is that we... We figured out, we know how to, we figured out how to measure it. And you can pretty much show that a lot of that stuff is ineffective. So please do not confuse what I'm saying to how brand is practiced inside of your company today. There is a huge difference between doing brand and getting your entire market of target customers to understand what you do and want to buy your stuff. Um, and so there, I, I, I sort of like looking at it and calling it sale it's sales at scale. Um, and so uh, that, that would be another one leaders trying to figure out how to 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 deeply learn and understand demand creation because it is a critical component of you scaling and hitting your targets. And it's probably one of the main reasons that CRO tenure is so low. Um, it's aside, true. Aside from the ridiculous goals by venture funded companies that get set that are totally unattainable. Um, so that's another part of it. But there's a huge element that companies can't create demand and the sales leaders set up to fail from the beginning. Um, and then if there's a i'm going to try and figure out what the third one is if there if there's a third one here i think it's figuring out how to balance with your sales team this ability to uh it's it's very uh i'm going to try and figure out how to explain this but it's hard i'm able to to be in sales mode and out of sales mode based on what i'm doing the environment that i am in who i'm talking to and things like that And actual sales professionals struggle to be able to turn this on and off. So when they go and try and create demand on LinkedIn, they just are asking for meetings and doing a bunch of stuff because they can't take their sales hat off and realize that we're being a human and we're creating demand and we're building relationships and stuff like that. So being able to try and figure out how to turn that stuff off when you go on the podcast, when you're doing the webinar, when you're going into social, when you're inside of communities to not come in with the sales, uh, the sales intentions and the sales stuff, because it just turns a bunch of people off. Um, and so trying to figure out how to sort of switch back and forth between those two is a really good skill. Dude, this has been
0: badass, Chris. I knew I was going to like my first uh, interaction with you, but I liked it better than I thought. Uh, and it took me a minute to catch up with you. You were like playing chess and I was playing checkers and I still probably am. Um, <laughs> but, but it, this is a really great, like what a, what a goldmine for all of our listeners! I, I have so many other things I'd like to ask, like, you know, how you talk to those customers the right way. Because I, I would imagine finding those experiences takes a little like there's an art form to it. I would imagine.
1: Sure. Um, yeah. I've, I've done this work since 2013 when I was, yeah. in, was a product manager, um, and, and so there's a lot of skill that goes into being curious, not asking leading questions, asking yeah. questions in a objective, market research style way to be able to not just take what the customer says about why they didn't buy from you or what feature they want and try and interpret why do they want it and then synthesize that in your brain and understand what does that mean for me. So a lot of people confuse customer research with listening directly to customers. It's not what customers say. It's trying to uncover what, what it they means do and then what it means and then how do you use that information to, to uh, whatever you want to accomplish. So there's like a level of, pattern recognition and interpretation and stuff like that that goes into it as well. And it's um,
0: ongoing, I'm guessing. I'm guessing you're never done. It's always ongoing, right?
1: Scale. It's. I think it's why a lot of people like, like you and others listen to me and resonate because I get insights at scale every day. I get 100 comments on my LinkedIn posts. I get 500 or more chats when I do a live event. People post and send me DMs all day across a bunch of different channels. I'm inside of several sales conversations almost every day. I'm DMing people about what they're struggling with. I'm talking to our current customers and advising CEOs and CMOs and those types of people on what to do next. Um, And so I get insights every day, which makes it very easy to start to understand what are the actual problems in the market today? Um, And so I used to do it in market research, get stuff together, send out a survey, you get insights, and then you don't do it again for six months. And now because of the scale of the internet and how, where everyone is, you can get these insights literally every day. The challenge is that you're, they're qualitative insights, not quantitative insights. This is probably another key point for sales leaders is that sales leaders really like quant numbers. I want to see my dashboard. I want to see numbers and attribution. I want to see that. They don't want to read a paragraph of what a customer said and then try and interpret what that means and then do that a hundred times over and see patterns. The qual, is where all the gold is. It's how you see insights sooner. It's how you act on them sooner. It's how you get results and conclusions that your competitors never see, which help you build the product and not be a commodity.
0: Dude, that's a great way to end. Chris, how do people get more of you? How do they connect? How do they like, your podcast? How do they reach out to your team? There's going to be a lot of people that will want, like they'll say, I don't know how to do what he just said, but I want it. I, I, I hope that most people will want to talk to you like that. How do they get more of you?
1: Yeah, sure. For uh, for any leaders say, that want to have a deeper conversation about engaging with us, you can go to refundlabs.com and you can see how we do our buyer experience. So when you fill that out, you'll be able to directly book with a AE, an experienced AE at that exact time. So you can also analyze our own Uh, sell like buying selling process and how we do it differently than yours. Um, We have the state of demand gen podcast. I'm the host. We have more than 300 episodes of information like this and the progression of that information over the past two and a half years. Um, And you can connect with me or DM me on LinkedIn, Instagram, or TikTok as well.
0: All right. His name is Chris Walker. You all know now why Forbes said he is the guru that everyone should be listening to. I want to thank you on behalf of a lot of sales leaders all around the world for taking a bit of time. You did a lot of good for a lot of people today, Chris, and I appreciate it. You know, He's the dude that's helping us create and find sales patterns that make all the difference. And so let's look for those patterns. Let's create those with intentionality. And if you do that, you can start to see just exactly why this demand creation and this demand capture are two separate motions, but mutually super powerful. Chris, You are a beast. Thank you so much for joining us, my man. And I wish you nothing but success.
1: Thanks, Rob. This was a blast. Appreciate you.
0: Hey, everyone, welcome to another. So what portion of the sales leadership podcast where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, this podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United, part of the Jepson Performance Group. Listen, our job as sales leaders is hard, really hard. And there aren't a lot of resources for sales leaders to turn to. The fact is most companies that spend millions in sales training, sales tools, sales process, and sales people spend virtually nothing on sales leadership process, sales leadership training, and and the only sales leadership tools we get are rolled up dashboards. And while it's true that companies should do more to develop the sales leaders on their team, the fact is that they don't most of the time. And that That's why I created Sales Leadership United. It's the world's largest collection of sales leadership assets and resources. And whether you're a new sales leader or one that's been leading sales teams for years, you're gonna find all kinds of tools to help you create more impact for those you lead faster. You can find it on Patreon right now. We're about to have a big release of its own website. And I want you to think of it as a Home Depot for sales leaders. You'll find video excerpts of this and all of our podcasts and three to five minute segments all tagged and organized by topic to help you in your leadership journey. You're going to find my very best content, over 100 hours of sales leadership training materials, sales meetings that are vetted and ready to go right now, leadership and one-on-one coaching systems, and much, much more. New materials added every single week and you'll find everything you need to become an elite sales leader in Sales Leadership United. So don't go reinventing sales leadership. Invest in yourself because you're worth it. Tap into proven sales training and techniques that are used by some of the most successful sales leaders in the world and head over to Sales Leadership United today. You'll be amazed what you'll get for the cost of lunch every single month. I also want to thank you, our sales, our listeners. More than 40,000 people download this show every single month and the show just keeps growing faster and faster. It's mind-boggling to me that the show is now being listened to by so many leaders in so many countries around the world. And many of you have told me you've listened to every single one of our nearly 200 episodes. I have more people reaching out to me every single week and I love hearing the stories of how this show has helped you in your sales leadership journey. They fire me up and I love hearing them. So thank you because there is no show without you. I do this because I love the sales leadership community and I'm so grateful that so many of you find this show helpful. So thank you. Your support of this show has been humbling and inspiring and I'll keep bringing killer guests to you every single week. Chris Walker, the dude is a legend in the GTM world. For years, his work has been the gold standard creating elite levels of sales at scale. I've been following this guy for a long time, and I've always been blown away with his willingness to share and contribute and the insights that he has. His videos and those insights that come with it, they've helped sales leaders like myself, revenue leaders all around the world, understand marketing principles that have transformed companies by orders of magnitude. And when you understand those, you can tap into them and and be a far more effective modern day leader, revenue leader, not just sales leader, but a revenue leader as you work differently and you approach the job a little differently. And so I'm pumped that I had the opportunity to bring him to each of you on the Sales Leadership Podcast. What a killer conversation. I love how he started with the question, can we build a buy now mindset, not take a meeting now mindset? Can we build a buy now mindset? That's a big difference in mindset. Because in the sales world that we live in right now, creating priority is everything, right? Every customer we have will have multiple problems. It's like that Jay-Z song, I got 99 problems, right? So the question is how do they make the one they focus on yours? Most problems won't get addressed right away. You want to create prioritization. And and your ability to do that, your ability to help your reps learn to do that is crucial. That's what modern day success is going to be about. Because every single one we speak with, they're going to have them. And connecting to a problem isn't enough anymore because most will be like tabled to the side. Um, And the mindset Chris starts with, I thought that that was awesome. I've went back and listened to it a couple times. How do we create experiences that lead to a buy? That's way different than an Opportunity. And though that's what many of us will get, I think it's super insightful to say let's look beyond that mark, because I don't want us to just have death by metrics. Well, we got a whole bunch of of, of leads, we got a bunch of SQLs, uh, SALs, whatever, you, whichever metric you want to point to. That ain't going to be enough, and so we may get. We may get those leads. We may get early qualified opportunities, but adopting Chris's mindset of creating demand where you're the only option that works for them, that's a totally different approach. And so I'm glad that Chris went beyond that tired conversation of brand versus demand that's been around for so long. He jumped straight to capturing brand versus creating demand, and that was fire. That part of the conversation was a game changer for me. I loved getting his insight on that. I hope you got that. Because as salespeople, we have to be in the experience business. We don't win because of what we say or the script we use. We win because of the experiences we create. So let's be mindful of those cre- of those experiences. Because I think the first place to start is to realize the experiences don't start when we finally get to speak with someone. And if we want to be creating priority with those we sell to, We need to be really mindful of Chris's insight that prioritization starts in the demand creation phase. But the message that I want to reinforce from Chris, maybe most of all, is that we have to be in the business of creating experiences. Not pitches, not words, experiences. Not scripts, experiences. My definition of an experience might be different than yours. Here's what my definition is. An experience is when you transform a prospect from a spectator to a participant. And as a result, you better be focusing on systems that create those kinds of experiences. I love how Chris referred to this type of work as sales patterns, because if you can create the right patterns, and by that I mean a string of experiences, these, these experiences are going to be those inflection points, those heartbeats on the EKG of your deal, right? Right. You're going to be a completely different option for everyone you work with if you know how to string experiences together that guide people along a process. And this is not just having content in their hands, which is tired and been around for a while. An experience is something that you do together. It's something that makes them a participant. So if you can create that, you're going to be a different option for every single person you work with. And if you can work with other members of your revenue team to kind of, to help create these kinds of experiences, well... That's going to be a massive game changer, okay? Because together you'll ensure that you align with customers and prospects in ways nobody else does. And that's when you build an elite revenue system. So connect to your customers. Learn what they love. Learn what the difference makers are. Stop worrying about what you want to sell them and start creating experiences where you create an alignment that that results in a bunch of things that you're going to like. For example, better alignment. Unique experiences. Less competition. Faster sales cycles, more motivated buyers, prioritization from those you're engaging with, and ultimately, significant growth in sales and revenue across the board. Not minuscule growth, massive growth. And it all happens by starting to create better experiences, both online and offline. Chris, my man, you're incredible. Thank you so much for joining me. I have been a fan of your work for a long time and I'm grateful you'd share your insights with sales leaders around the world today. To all of our listeners, you will be a better sales leader if you connect to Chris, follow the insights he consistently shares, and figure out how to implement these concepts that have been game changers for so many other organizations into the one you lead. I can't tell you how much I appreciate Chris joining us today and I hope you get as much from his insights as I have. Finally. Thanks to each of you, our listeners. If you like this episode, head out to iTunes and give us a five-star re- review. It goes a long way in helping me continue to get the best guests in the world on our show. Many of you have asked how you can support the show, and you can do it two ways. The first is to check out Sales Leadership United. For the cost of lunch, you can make a small investment in yourself that will create disproportionate results in how you lead. But the easiest way you can support us is to share this episode with your friends and colleagues. Share the podcast with someone who needs to hear it, and then be elite. Live strong, chase your passions, and don't worry, just execute, because we got you. Thank you so much for joining the Sales Leadership Podcast, the award-winning sales leadership podcast for those sales leaders looking to create legendary impact to those they lead. The greatest compliment you can give is to share this show and any of your favorite episodes with your fellow sales leaders, social media followers, or other communities you're part of. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group if you want to discuss any of the topics discussed on the show want to level up your leadership impact discuss executive coaching services or even include me at an upcoming event hit me up at rob at jetpg.com that's rob at J-E-P-P-G.com. and to those of you working to become a legendary sales leader I salute you and wish you much success on your journey whenever you need someone in your corner you know where to find me